Oh, it is so good to be with you. So this morning, you've received a booklet like this, maybe. If you haven't gotten one of these, please grab one on your way out this morning. We are talking about membership this morning. We're beginning a three-week series, a break in our Acts series, and uh, doing a three-week series called This Is Membership. We've spent a lot of time here at Bethany thinking about who we are as a church, thinking about how we're organized here, and we owe a great deal to so many local churches, local pastors, as well as churches on the other side of the country in particular. We're deeply grateful for the counsel and uh, support we receive from the Evangelical Free Church of America West District Team. That's a mouthful. Um, but these wonderful people have come alongside us, and they really helped us think through our Constitution. If you remember, all the way back to the beginning of last year, it is last year now, 2022, uh, we voted on a new church constitution, which included a new leadership uh, model here, uh, led by elders now, rather than the deacon model we had before, and uh, we could not have done it without these people, especially that man all the way onto the left, uh, Bob Osborne. Thankful for them. Now we're turning our attention to membership, and this has been one of those things that we have been thinking about for the past couple of years, and when will be the moment where we get to talk about church membership, because the more time that we have spent together, leaders, uh, a lot of Dan Chikami and I, uh, in my office, just going, what is this thing, and why is it so important, and there have been so many moments where you go, aha, I see, that's why this is so important. Um, as we're turning our attention to membership now, we would just want to recognize the work of some other churches that we have leaned on. One is uh, the Village Church. Uh, another is Capitol Hill Baptist Church, all the way out in Washington, D.C. They have done tremendous work on the value of church membership, including Nine Marks Ministries, which is a spinoff uh, from Capitol Hill Baptist Church. And uh, one particular um, little book that came out of Nine Marks called Church Membership. In fact, the elders this morning each have a copy of this that they are carrying on their person that they are prepared to relinquish to the first person who asks for this little book. It's a, let's see, $14.99 value, so you want to, not during the service, okay? Smitty, hide that book, okay? Don't let anybody take it until after the service. But uh, we, we do commend this book to you. Uh, much of what I will be sharing this morning, you will see right in here. And uh, much of the material, uh, I mean, of course, is grounded and rooted in Scripture. Uh, but it also comes from Capitol Hill Baptist and their membership uh, program there. Uh, we're deep, I'm just so deeply grateful for the community of believers. And I think we got a sense of that this morning as the Clarks came up just briefly up here. But if you were in the earlier 9 a.m., boy, you, you just get this sense. The Lord is doing powerful things through his people. And we are united together even though we are thousands of miles away from each other. I got to come up to Christopher right after he spoke earlier and said, do you by any chance know 
Brent Haberchak, who's a, a friend of mine. He's like, yeah, I fly with him all the time. I go, it's amazing. God is so good. And, and one of the wonderful things that I have had the privilege of doing here at Bethany is connecting with people outside of our church who are praying now for our church, invested in our church, who email me and say, how is it going there at Bethany? Uh, and when do I get to step in and take over? And then I said, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I already mentioned membership booklet. This is for the membership class that we will start later this year. But the elders and I, as we were going through and creating this material, felt it was so important that it wasn't good enough to just have a class and say, hey, go to the membership class. We believed it was something that is is important for all of us to walk through together. And so what we begin this morning is just an extraction out of our membership class uh, for all of us, what we think are some of the key things, most important things. If you want to hear more about the history of Bethany Bible Fellowship, uh, which we owe a great deal of gratitude to Gary Crocker for putting that together, you have to come to the membership class later on. Okay, I said it. <sighs> I feel like we need to pray one more time because this is so important. Um, before we do, though, other, one other thing I needed to mention. If you are already a member of Bethany, don't freak out because your membership still stands, okay? But, but I do want to encourage you uh, to consider what your membership means and consider the, the membership covenant that we have written in here uh, and um, that's on page 16. Don't flip there now. We'll get there in the next couple uh, weeks. And if you're not a member yet, uh, make a point to be with us the next two weeks as we really dive into this stuff and prayerfully consider whether or not this is the place for, for you. Bethany is a wonderful place. I've come to see that over the past five years, and uh, I trust that you will as well. But if not membership here, plug in somewhere. Uh, to a family that can love you, and you can love them, and you can grow in Christ together. There. Okay, now I've said it. Let's pray. Father, we, we give this to you, this time to you, uh, this, this thing called the church. What a beautiful thing this is. I've been in it my whole life, and only now am I realizing more and more, just how wonderful this thing is, created by the blood of Jesus Christ. The, 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 the biggest investment ever made in history was made for this, for us, and we have each other. Lord, thank you for this, and I pray, Lord, that this morning as we talk about what membership means, Lord, that you would, you would fill us with joy and a sense of just, just incredible privilege uh, that we could be part of this. And Lord, may the ultimate result be your glory. We love you. Thank you for this time that we have in Christ's name. Amen. Ethan loved Jesus. Uh, I have a friend named Ethan. I'm not talking about him. Ethan loved Jesus. He, he loved his idea 
of Jesus. He wasn't too excited about the people, the other people who said that they loved Jesus. There were certain ones that he could tolerate and get along with, hang out with every once in a while. But that whole melting pot thing that happens usually once a week in the form of a church service, not his idea of a good time. Kylie, on the other hand, she'd tell you, you know, she's a spiritual person. In fact, she could tell you what Jesus Christ did for her on that cross. She could tell you the gospel. Her sins were forgiven because Jesus Christ took her place. And because of Jesus, heaven is her eternal heavenly home. She just wasn't really much a fan of that formal, organized religion kind of thing. And so for her, worship was really best experienced by sipping an iced macchiato and watching the surf roll in, if you know what I mean. There was that old guy, Mark. Uh, he, uh, he had several churches, actually, that were in his rotation. Uh, week to week, he would go from one to the other to the other. And you could count on Mark. He was at church every single Sunday. You just never knew if he was going to pee at your church. <laughs> Penny, uh, not the penny that we have here, uh, (laughs) very enthusiastic, 20-something. She loved her singles group, loved being a part of it, loved getting together with a group of people that was in that same age range and stage in life, and it was just so encouraging and invigorating for her. But getting to church on Sunday mornings was, was, was hard. Waking up before 10 a.m. on a Sunday was hard uh, because of the, the, the nightlife that she loved and treasured uh, on Saturdays. Finally, there's that guy, Jose. Jose loves going to church, just loves it. I mean, the music, the messages, they fill him up and energize him for the rest of the week. He feels like he meets God every Sunday morning. But you know, as soon as that service is over, he is out the door, man, and he is in the car before anybody can talk to him. He'd tell you, yeah, I, I, I go to church, but he really didn't see the, the, the need or what's this thing about joining a church? Isn't that something that like people like the Godfather have to do to keep up appearances? I, I don't need to do that sort of thing. <laughs> oh, yes. What do all these people have in common? Well, they all see themselves as Christians. They all also fail to see the, the, the real intrinsic connection between their Christian faith and the church. And also, if you look at the Bible, there's a fundamental misunderstanding of what it means to be a Christian. And that's really not all that exciting. I mean, I grew up in in church. Before I can remember, probably before I was born, I was at church, at evangelical churches. And it was said over and over again in these churches that Christianity, it's not a, what? It's not a religion. It's a relationship. And and that's just as true today as it ever was. But when you pair that with American individualism, oh, something kind of happens here. What it what often develops and blooms out of this marriage is, and I can do it on my own mentality. My faith is my own, 
and no one else's business, and I can do it all on my own. And I think that's a tragedy. The book of Ephesians, which we went through uh, nearly five years ago now, uh, when I first started here, it gives us an incredible picture of who we are together in Christ. Would you turn with me? Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. And that's where we discover who we were before coming to trust in Jesus and now who we are after trusting in Jesus. And if you've placed your trust in Jesus, you can claim that. That's you now. Let me just read from verse 1 this morning. It says this, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the mind, of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What a, what a depressing, terrible picture of our past and of humanity in general. Dead in our sins, following the course of this world, like, what, like lemmings, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's at work in the sons of the disobedience. This is not good. Children of wrath, that God is upset with us, he is angry with us, our relationship with God is not right. In fact, we are not destined for good things, we are destined for punishment. That's terrible news. But the two best words in the Bible, <laughs> but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That's how you and I are saved. And what an awesome thing. It has nothing to do with anything that we have done. And everything to do with what God has done in Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ, you've been brought from death to life. In spite of all the horrible sin in your life. And for some of us, that's a pretty hefty stack. And there are some really awful things in that stinking pile. Despite all of that. In spite of your years of rebellion against God. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus saves you. <laughs> Amazing. But another thing that that work of Christ accomplishes, the Apostle Paul points out in verses 14 and 16. It says this, he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself, one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing 
the hostility. And some might scratch their heads and say, okay, what is this two people becoming one? Is this like a marriage thing? What's going on here? Well, he's talking about Jews, God's people that God had called out of darkness so long ago. And those who are not Jews, not God's people, the rest of humanity, the Gentiles. And where once there was a great wall of separation... In fact, embodied in, in Solomon's temple, you, you separate the communities here and how they can worship. Where once there is a great wall, Jesus tears down that wall and brings them together. He's this unity factor that just levels the playing field and enables everybody of every race, any nationality, from every corner of the world to be brought into this family of God. And this is such a powerful reality that Paul calls it a mystery. In chapter 3, verse 3, it's hidden for, for the generations, but now it's made known. He says in chapter 3, verse 6, This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are fellow heirs. They're members together of one body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What's, what's going on here? Why is this so important? Why did God do this? Why create unity between people who otherwise never would have associated with one another, didn't want to see each other, didn't want to talk to each other, and, and yet now they're together because they have this one thing in common, and that's Jesus. Well, Paul doesn't leave us hanging he tells us the reason in 3.10. This, this, is, this is really important. It was so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Did, did you catch that? He doesn't say that through individual believers, those individual lights that are out there just shining in, in the darkness on there. No, no, he doesn't say that. He says, through the church. What is the church? It's that collective body of redeemed people, people that Christ has bought back and now belong to God. It's the collective people of God. God's plan to make his magnificence known to the world is not, let's turn off all the lights and I'm going to turn the light on and I'm just going to show you myself, world. No, it's, it's not that. Peel back the heavens. I am God. Here I am. No, it's not that. It's the church. His plan to bring glory to himself is centers on the church. You know, when Americans think of church, so very often they have different things come to mind. They think of buildings. Some think of, well, you know, it's when you go to that place and you listen to someone talk for a long time, or, or, or maybe you're singing some songs together. But the church is the gathered community of people. It's, it's about this assembly of people who look drastically different from, from each other. Yes, we do. You put any two of us together and you go, whoa, strange. But because they have Jesus in common, they're united. 
People outside the church, they scratch their heads and they go, what on earth is that guy doing with hanging out with that gal? Or why is this senior citizen hanging out with this high school student? Why? That's what Jesus does. He does this incredible thing. All the sermons, all the, all the Bible studies and the singing and the classes and all these things that we do together, they are They are done because of what Christ has done for us. That's not it in in and of themselves. The church, this thing called the church, it's not what we do together. It's who we are together. We're together for the glory of God. And that gravitational pull toward one another, that love for one another, that's what defines who we are, isn't it? We've mentioned this verse many, many times over the past uh, couple months. Jesus said in John 13, 34, he said, new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If what? If you have love for one another. You know, love for, for each other, this is not an optional thing. <laughs> this is an extra credit. As if, you know, God says, wow, look at her. She's, she's, she not only trusts in Jesus, she's not only received the free gift, but, you know, she actually is loving people. This is amazing. She's loving people that, that she shouldn't love. No, 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 no. This is This is not accidental. This is not extra credit. This is essential. This is primary to what it means to be a Christian and to live the Christian life. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. You know, when when you and I come to faith in Christ, we may come as individuals in faith to Christ But we know that God's Holy Spirit immediately welds us together. I got a welding machine this week. I'm learning to weld. What an incredible thing it is to take two pieces of metal. Before this, I'd have to like drill holes. I'd have to screw them together. I'd find a way to fit these things. How are they going to stay together? They don't want to stay together, especially in a vehicle. You've got vibrations and bumps and everything is tearing at these things to come apart. My goodness, but welding? (laughs) You marry these things together, and the metal is melting and fusing together, and it becomes one. This is incredible. This is what the Spirit does to us as we come to faith in Christ, and he makes his home within us. We're, We're adopted, right? Another wonderful picture that Scripture gives us. What an incredible thing it is to be adopted as we've watched the McCrill family. Oh my gosh, my heart is just soars for the love that this family pours out to these children. We've been adopted into this massive family. We are all adoptees, if that's the right way to say it. We've all been adopted if you've placed your trust in Jesus. That's amazing. Christ Church, you know, it, it, it's... Uh, It's got interesting people in it. Um, We just read from Ephesians chapter 2. And if you you pay close attention to that description, it does not paint us in a very good light, at least those first few verses. And when you start to get to know some of these people here, you start to realize there's a lot of history here. There's a lot of stuff that has gone on in their life. And there's some stinky things that still need to be cleaned up here. 
right? Just like at my house, I need to disinfect. Uh, church is not filled with a bunch of, 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 of whitewashed, perfectly polished individuals in it. It's made up of, of, of sinners. And every single person here was in need of, of, a, of, a, of a frame off restoration. Got to come back to cars again. I, the idea of taking an old vehicle, an old relic, and taking it completely apart, stripping it down to nuts and bolts, and completely redoing this. You, you could have a, one car that is worth maybe $5,000, and one that has been completely restored. I mean, it's, it's incredible, $150,000, $200,000. My brother just sold, he's, he trades cards, he just sold an old international scout for $75,000 because it's been completely restored. And people see that value. You get in this and you go, whoa, this is like new. It shouldn't be new, but it's like new. This is what Christ does for us. He transforms us, and he's in the process of transforming us. But if you've been in church a little while, you know that that's messy. It is so messy for these people who are being restored. They're new in Christ, yes, their identity. They are his kids. They've been adopted in. But there's refinement that needs to take place. And so church is often, the, what happens in church is often the excuse of people who don't want to hang out, don't want to go to church anymore. I've heard it over and over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? Let me tell you about what happened at my last church, and you'll know why I don't go to church anymore. Well, sure. It, it happens. We rub each other the wrong way. And there are things that have been done to me, and I'm sure there are things that have been done to you that would convince you or seek to convince you that you should not be loving these people. No way! But that's exactly the place where God gets glory. Because as his spirit does a work within you, and you start loving others the way you have been loved by him, you show Everyone, that this is only done by the power of God. This is the whole point. This is the kind of love that puts on display the awesome power of Jesus. Without Jesus, this kind of thing does not happen, at least not sincerely, not the authentic kind of love. It's, it's a completely different kind of love than the world on the outside knows. This isn't, this isn't a selfish, passion-satisfying kind of love. This is the heavenly kind of love. Jesus said, if, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And the answer, of course, is nothing, right? Celebrities do not, or at least they should not, get any type of accolades for loving their adoring fans. Because who wouldn't love your adoring fans? But love someone who is hard to love? Oh, that's a little different, isn't it? That's glory-getting kind of love. That's John 3.16 kind of love. For God so loved the world that he gave. It's, it's Romans 5.8 5, kind of love. God shows his love for us in that we were still sinners. Christ died for us. That is glory-deserving kind of love. That's God's love 
put on display as he reached down from heaven to save you and me, those Ephesians 2, 1, and 2 kind of people. And this is the kind of glory displaying kind of love that he intends for his church to have. You, you, you can't show this kind of love as you just hang out with your little group of friends that are just like you and share common interests. No, you just get along so well because your lives just mesh naturally. It's not the kind of love that you can, you can, you can show well enough through your, your college group or your singles group or your young marrieds group or your empty, empty nesters group or just hanging out in your seniors group. It's, it's just not enough. It doesn't display the glory of it well enough. And that's why just attending a service and not investing in the, in the messy, difficult, God-glorifying relationships that he intends for you to have here at the church, that's why that's not enough. Move up to the hills, cut yourself off from the rest of the world, sing songs, read your Bible, pray every day, look like some type of holy person. Anybody can do that. Commit yourself to pouring into and serving, and loving, and having difficult conversations with, and then forgiving, and holding accountable, and putting up with, and building up other Christians, that is glory displaying love. This is what the church is designed to do. What God designed his church to do, to show a world that does not know him a dumbfounding, mind-boggling kind of love. He wants them to see the kind of love that is not possible in any other way, that has no other explanation other than to point to that's the power of God. So what is being a member of? look like in a church? How, how does the Bible call Christians to relate to one another in a local church? Well, first of all, it looks like loving one another. Look at these verses, and these are just a few from Scripture. 1 Peter 2, 17, love the brotherhood of believers. Galatians 6, 10, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of God. That, that's love. Romans 15, 1, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. That's not love that just cuts and runs at the first sign of hurt feelings, is it? No, it's not. What about Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is a going out of your way and giving to each other kind of love. Uh, Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. This is sometimes uncomfortable, but it's an other-centered kind of love. Quite frankly, not the kind of love that our world is selling you right now. That love is a selfish kind of love. It is a, you do everything that I like, and then I'll see if I decide if you are loving me well, and likewise. No, 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 no. 
This is a forget yourself kind of love, and this is a give of yourself, just like Christ kind of love. You know, when a Christian husband or wife have every excuse to call it quits and go their separate ways, but don't, it puts on display the way that Jesus sacrificially loves his church. And in the same way, when Christians in the church continue to stand by one another, and give of themselves to each other, especially in the midst of, of struggles and hurt, what does it do? It testifies to the power of the gospel of Christ, working God's power, working powerfully within his people. The thing that is so important for us to understand when it comes to this love one another, the, the command, is that this is not just given to a select few of us, is it? You know, this isn't for the ones who have been given that love others spiritual gift. Have you been given that gift? I've, I have not met anyone. Never. <laughs> and it's not just for the pastors, and it's not just for the teachers or any other leaders. No, this is for every Christian. And it's not just something that we're just supposed to, to work on. Maybe we'll get better. I'm getting better. I'm Be patient with me. I'm getting a little bit better. Someday I'm hoping to get to the point where I'm going to love that person. You know, uh, God's working in me. No. This is what all Christians are supposed to do, what we're expected to do. And it's something we can only do when we regularly meet together with the rest of the body of believers. That means a critical part of being a Christian is to live in community with other Christians so that you can love them and so that they can love you. You know, being a member also looks like this. It looks like encouraging one another. Paul tells us in Thessalonians, encourage one another, build each other up. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Hebrews 10.24 tells us, consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Now, you might consider yourself to be a, a, a generally encouraging person. I didn't used to be, but now I think that I am. I just go around and I just encourage people. It's just something I do, and I find that they respond well, and so I keep doing it. That's great. Encourage one another. But these verses don't have that in mind. No, the author of Hebrews says immediately after this, he says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Is he talking about everybody? Is he talking generally? Is he saying, you just, just don't isolate yourself, you know, you just don't, don't shut yourself off in your home, but you continue to meet together, you know, don't isolate yourself as some do, especially in these post-COVID times. No, no, he's not talking about that. He's talking about meeting together as the church. He's talking about intentionally doing that within the context of your church. For so long, I was going to church thinking that that's what I was supposed to do. Go to church. And I went to church. And I saw some friends. And I listened patiently and quietly to the sermon. I even sang the songs. I even dressed the part. There were a few times where I wore a tie. But I didn't understand that in going to church that I had a sacred role 
that in stepping onto the campus and going up to a person that I did not necessarily know very well, but putting myself out there and sometimes saying, hey, uh, I'm not sure if we met, but my name's Jared. And that's when they say, oh, I've been here five years. You see me all the time. It's enduring even that for the sake of coming together as God's people. It's stepping onto the campus and going up to the person that you know there's something between the two of you. There's been a conversation, or you saw something online, or you heard something from a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend, and you feel it. The barrier, the wall that says, walk away, go to the donuts, go to the donuts, not over there, go to the donuts, right? Back to the donuts. And it's saying, no, 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 no. Christ would go towards, not away from. I'm here for a purpose, and he brought them here for a purpose. We're here together for a purpose, and somehow God wants to glorify himself through us today. What does that look like? Friends, one of the sacred and vitally important callings of every Christian is to get out of bed on Sundays or whenever your church meets to be there with the other members of the local church so that you might actively encourage and strengthen their faith. And you say, I don't have much to offer. It doesn't matter. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have everything to offer. And you trust him to speak the words through you, even if they're not even words. Maybe it's just a smile, or maybe it's a hug. And what does that result in? God gets glory, and good is brought to his people. Church membership, we're commanded to love one another. We're commanded to encourage each other. We're also commanded to guard one another. This is one of the harder ones, and yet so vitally important. Christians are to guard one another. In Hebrews 12, the author writes to Christians about their responsibility to each other. And he says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy. This is you, people. You are commanded. See to it. You make sure this doesn't happen. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he writes, you know, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that's not even tolerated among the pagans, for a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant? He says, you're a church that you think you guys are so great, and you're tolerating this? He says, ought you not to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I'm present with you in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, and with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. And that sounds really... Uh, mythical and, and strong language there. Deliver him over to Satan. Wow, this is a spiritual thing. This is very, very simple. You got someone in your church body who is practicing in, in life in such a way that is not consistent with Christ. You cannot 
continue to let them think that they are in good standing with Christ. This is not of Christ. It is no good. And by accepting it, by tolerating it, by not saying any word, you are perpetuating it to that person's eternal damnation. So cast them out and let them know this cannot be. You know, I bet that man in 1 Corinthians 5, I'll bet he thought himself a Christian. I'll bet he did. I'll bet he attended church regularly. I'll, I'll bet he did all the things that a, that a person would do. And that can, I'll bet he sang the songs. Maybe he even raised his hands. We don't even do very much of that. And that's why Paul tells them, take action here. Somehow they got to get through to him that he's living in a way that's not consistent with Christ. You know, sometimes the thought of confronting sin, especially in our world today, it can feel like an unloving thing to do. It's actually the exact opposite. It's a loving thing to do. Not only for that person, but also for everybody else. Because it makes Christ clearer. It makes the gospel clearer. For those who maybe have been attending church, maybe think they're, 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 they and God are all good. They and the church family, they're all good. It's a wake-up call, isn't it? Because all of a sudden they go, wait a second, I'm doing the same thing or something close to what that guy is doing. I need to rethink my life. <laughs> For those outside the church looking in, it helps them see Christ's bride in purity as it should be seen. Because if we tolerate this kind of stuff going on in our church, do you know what it does? It gives Christ a bad name. And it says, the power of God has no power to it. The gospel, pfft, it's just another way to make money. For those who are truly believers, maybe they've stumbled into some sort of sin. It calls them back to the cross. This is the loving thing to do. And when people who know Christ, they commit themselves together as members of a church, they're able to, in this way, validate the faith of one another. To say, brother, sister, keep going. Keep going. Church members, they love, they encourage, they guard each other. Finally, they submit to their leaders this is one that always feels awkward for me to share, but it, it's here. It's, it's important for us. We need to talk about this. Members of local churches are called to obey their leaders. That's what Hebrews 13, 17 says. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And this verse has so much to do with the value and importance of local church membership. And, and here's one of the reasons. Does, does this verse mean that every Christian needs to obey every Christian leader who comes along? Can you imagine if you took that verse to mean that? Obey your leaders and submit to them. Every Christian leader that passes by, and you see on the internet, I have to obey them. Wait, that person's saying this, that person's saying this. Who, who, who do I, this doesn't work, does not compute, does not compute, and the whole thing crumbles, right? It doesn't mean that that would be ridiculous. Lead, cr leaders that Christians are supposed to submit to are the leaders that they have said, I am part of your flock, I'm part of your congregation, I'm committed here. On the other hand, does this verse mean that church leaders are responsible for keeping watch over the souls of all Christians. 
Is that what I signed up for? Can you imagine? <laughs> Impossible. There's no way. I can't know everybody. It can't mean that. No, Christian leaders, they're only responsible for those who have voluntarily come into their body and have said, I'm here. I, I am part of it. I want to be a member here. And that's why membership is so important. If churches are just filled with people, they're just bouncing in and out of church. They're going here one Sunday. They're going there one Sunday. How are the leaders supposed to know whose souls they're responsible for? How are they supposed to know who to call and who to check in on and who to love and who to pray for and who to help course correct? And at the same time, how on earth can Christians know? We're hopping from this church to that church. Which leaders do I listen to? It doesn't work. And that's why membership at this church has to be made crystal clear. We need to know who belongs here and who's not yet belonging here. And the way we're going to do that is by making sure that the elders know who's committing themselves as, as part of this body and who's not. We do that by, by making sure that, that our members know what the, the commitment is. What does this actually entail? What am I actually committing to? And so there's now a membership covenant. We actually had one before. It just was never talked about. And now we're going to talk about it. Because it's so important that we know what this membership thing looks like. What does it mean for me to be committed here? What does it mean for me to be committed to, 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 to Lori Peterson or Dan Jacami or any of you? What does that mean? I need to know. And we do that by having elders sit down with people and hear their testimonies and make sure that they know and truly understand what it means to know Jesus and, and, and be transformed by him. And once we've done all that, then we'll be able to live out Hebrews 13, 17 well, or at least give it a fair shot. The Bible calls Christians to love one another, encourage one another, guard one another, to submit and obey to their leaders. And so as we put all of these different biblical commands together, what we get is this triangular relationship. We've, we've been working to create a, a diagram, and hopefully it'll come up on the screen. I hope it, hope it does. But if not, it's on page 15 of your, of your, of your book. And so there are different relationships. That we reflect the commands that are given about our relationship to our church leaders on one side of the triangle. And so you're to recognize them. You're to submit to them. At the same time, they're to give an account for you. And so they're both equipping you, pouring into you, shepherding you, praying for you, caring for you. And another side of the triangle, there's some biblical commands about your relationship with the rest of the congregation. And so if you're a Christian, you need to, to love other Christians in your church in ways that are sometimes messy and difficult. And so you see encouraging them as an important part of your following Jesus. And you're to let them into your life as well and hold you accountable and vice versa. And the only way this is going to work if, is if your relationship with the church has three very, very important characteristics First one is commitment. It's got to be a committed relationship. Otherwise, this, this can't work. The kind of love and encouragement, that kind can't happen if you don't have a real commitment to these people and, and they to you. It also requires definition, doesn't it? 
It has to be a relationship with, with a specific, defined group of people. So church leaders, they need to know for whom they're giving an account for their souls, and you need to know who your church leaders are. And there's also a permissive aspect to this. There's a voluntarily, voluntary association in which you give your leaders and other members of your church permission to do things for you that you may not necessarily want at the time that they need to be done, right? <laughs> you also invite them to encourage you to speak into your life, to have those difficult conversations with you because you have recognized, you know what, the most important thing for me is not that I feel comfortable in this moment or whether or not I feel offended. The most important thing is I'm with these people on the other side. <laughs> That's why my church is here for me. That's why my little, my little community group that I have with, with these elders here, that, that, that's one of the most precious part of this for me, is they know me, or they're getting to know me, and there's, maybe some of them are starting to wish they don't know me, but, but at any rate, they're, they're helping guard my heart and encouraging me and spurring me on so that I can cross that finish line. Yeah, I believe Christ has done all the work. This is not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but I need that community to encourage me on. Do you? It's also uh, important that this relationship go both deep and wide. If you've been a Christian for a long time, maybe you've heard that song. Oh, I never liked that song. <laughs> deep and wide. Mm, and No, please. <laughs> Someone's teaching that to my daughters. I will find you. <laughs> Just kidding. You know, membership is not about adding your name to a list. It's not about having another little card in your wallet. No, it needs to have some depth to it. And by that we, need, we mean it, it needs to be meaningful. Being a member here at Bethany, it isn't just showing up every Sunday and then skipping out real quick. It's about digging deep and investing in those relationships it's about taking those commands that we just talked about so seriously and intentionally pouring into the lives of others and inviting them into yours. That's a hard thing to do, especially for us introverts. And one of the ways that we, we seek to do that here at Bethany, it's only one of the ways, but community groups are one of the ways that we encourage each other to go deep with one another. It also needs to be wide. Membership needs to have breadth to it. And that means actively seeking to not just hang out with people in your church that are just like you, that look like you, that talk like you, maybe at the same age and stage in life as you. No, we got to recognize that God brought all of us here, divinely, supernaturally, sovereignly brought each one here. That means I need to step outside of my circle of, of normal friends. I need to go talk to that person over there who does not look like me at all. And it appears that we have absolutely nothing in common. It needs to go wide because God brought us here for a reason. And maybe he's going to do something in me or through me and glorify himself in the most profound way. Something that I have never even imagined. We're all members of one body. And this body right now is wondering, when are you going to be done talking about this? God loves his church. He loves his church. 
Why is church membership so important? Well, one of the reasons is because it's, it's, it's the way that best enables us to practice those one another's from Scripture. This is how we live it out. You can't live out the one another's with the whole entire big C church, all believers everywhere. Just, you can't do that because you're a finite being. No, it has to be lived out in a local church. But the other reason is because God loves his church. Why wouldn't you come to other believers and say, you know what? I prayed about it. I thought about it. It seems clear that God has brought me here, at least for this season of my life. I'm not just attending. I am here for you. In Acts chapter 9, the apostle Paul, Saul, back, back when this happened, he has this fascinating run-in with Jesus, the blinding light. If you've gone to Sunday school, you know about this. And Jesus, the, the resurrected Jesus, appears to Paul on the road to Damascus. What was, what was Paul or Saul going there to do? He was going to, to, to roll some heads of Christians, to bind them, imprison them, get rid of them. And the voice confronts him, and the voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Notice what it didn't say. He didn't say, why are you going to persecute those Damascus Christians? Didn't say that. Nor does he say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the members of that church? Doesn't say that. He says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus identifies so closely with the church is actually being his body. I think this is where Paul first got that divine image of the church actually being Christ's body. Don't you know? You're all members of it. Members of the church are the body of Christ. Acts 20, 28 tells us it's the body that God bought with his own blood. And we just celebrated that last week with communion. Friends, next to his glory, this is what God is all about. Because this is what gives him maximum glory. He loves his church. He's made the local church as the centerpiece of his plan to make his glory visible to this world that we find ourselves in. May we, as his people, may we love what he loves. And may we gladly and joyfully give of ourselves to a local church for the glory of God and the good of his people. Amen. Father, we, we thank you for your church. We thank you for making us a part of your family for welding us together, adopting us in. Thank you, Lord. What a gift this is. And Lord, as we continue to live and breathe, may we evermore see the value of this beautiful creation, this organization, this organism that is the church. And Lord, may this church, Bethany Bible Fellowship, May it grow in ways that, that, that we, we, we
we could not imagine because you are powerfully working in each and every individual here, building up Christ-likeness within them and then pouring it out on each other that we might be a church that loves like no other church, that other, other people on the outside and other congregations might be envious, not of the buildings that we build or the programs that we create or the polish that we have on our website, but by the love that exists here in this body. And I thank you, Lord, from the bottom of my heart from the love that you have already established here, Lord, over almost 50 years. May it continue to grow and thrive and may more and more be brought into it that they might know the love of Jesus and be in awe of the glory of God. In Christ's name, amen.